and I very distinctly remember this one evening when we had had a wonderful uh, sales month and we had all gone to celebrate that and it was the 2012 Olympics that was happening and everyone around my table just kept complaining about how we as Indians don't have it in us and we can't make it in a world stage of sport and we can never win medals and something really bothered me that night I couldn't sleep I was so angry I was so upset I was like what do you mean we don't have it in us we are doing well in every other area that you can imagine as Indians why can't we do it in sport Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we are recording live at the Mass Participation World Conference at the Hilton Hotel in Singapore. We are speaking with a highly determined and visionary young leader from India who is making waves on the subcontinent with Go Sports Foundation, creating an enriched sporting ecosystem, promoting sports for all, and is determined to put India on the sporting map and win Olympic and Paralympic gold medals. She has a Bachelor of Commerce from Mont Carmel College and an MBA Finance and Marketing from Symbiosis Institute of Management Studies. Her career has included Assistant Manager, Assistant Vice President Training and Development and Vice President of HSBC in Bangalore. Since 2012, she started working at Go Sports Foundation as a communications director and marketing director. And since 2016, is the executive director. I'm honored and privileged to introduce to you an actor, a travel junkie, and dog lover, who managed to sweet talk her way into the Rio Paralympic Games village and was a fine athlete in her own right, representing Kanataka State in basketball and tennis. Dipti Papaya, Dipti, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That is a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And it's exciting to have a live audience for our conversation today. You know, before we delve into your incredible work that you are doing for sport in India, let's take a trip down memory lane. Where did you grow up as a child and what was your big dream? So I actually come from the south of India. Um, it's called the Scotland of India. So that's where we grow a lot of coffee. And um, it's a small um, you know, town with a very, very small population. We're probably one lakh people in Coorg. Uh, and uh, uh, growing up, for us has only meant two things. You're either part of the forces in the, in the army or you play sport. Uh, because the region we come from was more about outdoor. And, uh, but I lived and I was born in Bangalore, uh, again, south of India. And uh, my parents are extremely sporty. 
and my mother played hockey for the state and my dad used to play tennis, so sport was pretty much part of our growing up. And my dream uh, was always to do something which has impact in whatever way where you could influence change. I think from when I was very little, it, it, a lot of the things I participated in was always about what is the larger change that can happen because of this one action. So that and, is always interesting. And as a child playing sport, you know, what, what was your sort of biggest memory of playing sport sort of for the first time or when you were a young child? So I think my biggest memory was sitting with my dad and watching every single tennis match. I mean, uh, he would always be talking to my sister and me about sport. And I think there are multiple different memories, but I think uh, a couple of, I was, I was always in love with Steffi Graf. So from when I was very little, I, I, I dreamt of playing at one of the Grand Slams. And I think that was a very large dream that I had. But uh, my mom always said, it's about playing, enjoy the sport. So I had very two conflicting uh, parental advice of mom saying, enjoy the sport and dad saying, you can be a champion. But it was all about sport. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So I like that. So, you know, for you, you decided to... Uh, you know, you're playing sport there. W were there equal opportunities for all genders to play sport when you were a young child in India? Uh, you know, Chris uh, started this morning about talking about this audience being one of privilege. And I think coming from a country of 1.3 billion people where we have a whole host of other things to be taken care of, I, I do believe I come from the privileged lot who had access to sport, who had access to uh, play. And I don't think the gender came in the way at that point of time. But yes, generally in India, um, as a girl, young girl, uh, you had very different challenges about if you play in the sun, then who's going to marry you? <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll become dark. And I think there were, it still happens in a lot of places, but the majority of us have definitely, definitely come a long way in that. I mean, if you look at the uh, Rio Olympics, two of our girls actually won medals there. So, yeah, they're, we're changing the front in uh, women's sport there. <laughs> For many young children, their first venture into the working world is selling lemonade on the side of the road or mowing lawns or doing a paper run or working at a supermarket. You know, can you enlighten us? What was your first ever paid job? So I was um, actually a volunteer at something called as the Bangalore Book Festival. I never used to read much because I was always playing sport, but I think that was my memory about being in a large format event where I was a volunteer and I had to give out pamphlets to everyone who entered there. So, and I actually got paid uh, for the day. So I did it for three days. So that was my first salary. Yeah, brilliant. So you come out of university where you started an MBA and also commerce and landed in major roles at HSBC. When did you first realise that you were a leader and was it during your school days or did it happen a bit later on? I think it happened at school. Um, given that I played sport and I played a lot of team sports as well, naturally I think um, um, the leadership qualities were identified by my teachers at a very young age and I was the captain of my house and was participating in a lot of the other events and I think sports 
without you knowing teaches you so many life lessons which today when I look back, whether it is uh, just meeting people, talking to people, fundraising, or any sort of thing has happened because of sport more than education, I would say. But it's actually living each part of the day in sport, which has taught me a lot of things. So what was it like working for a global financial bank such as HSBC, you know, for you? Uh, so when I did my MBA, I was not uh, very sure that I wanted to be a banker, for sure. Uh, I actually did my uh, internship in Walt Disney. They had just come to India and they had started the Disney Channel. And uh, I've always liked things which are magical and beyond expression. And uh, so I just wrote to them and I said, you know what, you'll have come to India. So can I get an internship? So I opted out of my placements in uh, MBA. And I wrote to them, I, I went down from Pune to uh, Bombay at that point of time and in the bus and went and gave my interview and they said, you know what, we don't have an internship concept, we're just starting off here, we're a month old. I said, it's okay, I could do anything here. <laughs> and uh, when I reached Pune back that same evening, I got an email saying that, yeah, okay, we're open to having you on board. So I had a three fantastic months of uh, an internship at Disney. Uh, but then uh, when I sat for placements, uh, there was some merger going on at that point of time and they closed uh, openings and hiring. So that's when I ended up sitting in a placement interview of HSBC. But I think that was one of the best things that happened to me, working for a global financial bank, uh, getting that exposure, uh, understanding the value system in some sense is... Uh, and, and just the sheer exposure, I think, was a big learning for me at, at HSBC. So we all learn from our mistakes and risks that we take. Uh, can you recall what was your biggest lesson you learned while working at HSBC? I think uh, I have had multiple lessons, but I think the biggest lesson was... Um, I used to be in the retail banking side, so in the wealth management side of it. And I still remember one of my, my, my first bosses actually told me that you can only get people to invest if they see that you are doing it. So be the change that you wish to see, right? So in a lot of things that I do, I always attempt to see before I'm selling something or before I'm putting myself out or before I'm getting into any activity, I'll always ask myself, is this something that I would do and is this something that's going to create change? And I think that was one of my biggest learnings there. And uh, even Mahatma Gandhi says that be the change you wish to see. And that's something that as a quote, I follow as well. <laughs> so talking about change, uh, after six years at HSBC, there was a, a light bulb moment when, which changed the course of your career. You know, what was the defining moment for you to take a risk and change careers and move into the sport world? So I think um, I would call myself a failed athlete, <laughs> you know, who wanted to be there, wanted to win a medal for India, uh, but didn't really go beyond the state level. And um, there came a time when um, I forgot all about my sport and I got into the education world continued, did my MBA, got into the bank. And I, and I very distinctly remember this one evening when we had had a wonderful uh, sales month and we had all gone to celebrate that. 
and it was the 2012 Olympics that was happening and everyone around my table just kept complaining about how we as Indians don't have it in us and we can't make it in a world stage of sport and we can never win medals. And something really bothered me that night. I couldn't sleep. I was so angry. I was so upset. I was like, what do you mean we don't have it in us? We are doing well in every other area that you can imagine as Indians. Why can't we do it in sport? Um, so then I started looking up uh, the options and uh, how do I get into a federation? How do I get into the Olympic Association? Like, what are my options? What can I do? And then I came across uh, through uh, our, our trustee, who was also a former tennis player, uh, got to know about GoSports Foundation and I started looking them up. It took me seven months uh, to get out of HSBC because my bosses wouldn't let me go and my parents thought it was a very bad decision to leave a good lucrative job and get into a foundation. Uh, but I think that was the best decision of my life. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I love it. So India is a mad cricket nation and has excelled in men's hockey with eight Olympic gold medals. With 1.3 billion people, there has to be an incredible pool of talent waiting to emerge. What was the catalyst for Go Sports Foundation? And can you enlighten the audience what work it is focused on now? So I think um, you're absolutely right in terms of the numbers of 1.3 billion people. Uh, it's, it would be silly to say we don't have the talent. I think uh, the large gap was in the system and the process and uh, the professional management of young talent, uh, of how you nurture young talent. And I think that's the area that we are in. Uh, we really, when we started off, we did a research of when does an athlete actually drop out in the whole pathway. And we realized that it is really transitioning from a national level to an international level, uh, you know, because we have a large number of young kids who play up to the national level, but they're unable to transition to the next level. And that's the space that we came in and, uh, you know, we're trying to professionalize and create an ecosystem to nurture them and get them to the best of their potential. It could be the Asian Games, it could be the Commonwealth, it could be the Olympics or the Paralympics ultimately, or the World Championships, but it is getting them to the best of their potential and ultimately becoming role models. So I think that's what excites us. Uh, it's important to have, you know, to focus on the people aspect, not just the sporting aspect of, of those um, athletes coming through. You know, it must be incredibly humbling to have one of cricket's all-time greatest players, Rahul Dravid, national badminton coach, Pulila Kopachand, and the first ever Indian athlete to win an Olympic individual gold medal, Abhinav Bindra, on your advisory board. So how important are they to securing funding, resources and opportunities for India's talented young athletes? I think we're extremely fortunate to have uh, all three of them on our advisory board and each one brings a very, very unique and different perspective to, to us. Uh, I think Rahul Dravid, um, given the legend that he is, you know, as an individual, as a human being, as well as in his sport, I think uh, when he decided to uh, retire from international cricket, he was always keen on working with Olympic athletes. And uh, we were trying to figure out what is that arrangement that we could have in which he could contribute his learnings and time and 
effort and energy to us. And we created something called as the Rahul Dravid Athlete Mentorship Program, uh, which is really talking to young Indian athletes who are transitioning from um, emerging level to an elite level to just have conversations with Rahul. And these conversations are something like what we're having today. It's, it's a very informal setting, but the pearls of wisdom that come out from uh, Rahul is extremely invaluable to our young athletes. Uh, Gopi Chand is really um, pushing us uh, from a coaching ecosystem model. Uh, he's always telling us that when you support a young athlete, you're supporting one of them. But if you support a coach, you can support 100 athletes through that one coach. So it's a large part of the ecosystem. And I think what Abhinav brings, uh, you know, just to uh, share, he is India's only individual Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. Only out of 1.3 billion people. So that's what we're attempting to change. And he's really bringing in his resources, his time, his effort, the technology, and um, just what elite sport requires in India. So it's a, it's a great combination and they help us in various ways, uh, more so from mentorship, guidance, and to ensure that young athletes today don't go through the mistakes that they have gone through and how can we make it a smoother pathway for them to transition into being the best in their way. So we've got some incredible former you know, top athletes involved. Are there any female role models in, involved as well to support in the growth of the girls' sport in India? Yes, I think uh, one example I would like to talk about is Deepa Karmakar. She's actually a young gymnast and um, she's uh, kind of broken all uh, um, logic about India and women's sport and new sports. Uh, she comes from the northeast region of India. She's taken up a sport like gymnastics and she finished fourth at the Rio Olympics. Uh, so it kind of redefined moments and we as a nation celebrated the fourth place. So we also uh, have come a long way as audience and fans and you know to just appreciate how difficult it is to be an Olympian and a Paralympian. I think uh, the narrative has changed in some sense from saying we cannot make it to we're getting there. Yeah. So I think we've come a long way. So from a, a sporting point of view, what is India's current biggest challenge in finding the next Olympic or Paralympic gold medalist? I think India has um, multiple challenges purely from the perspective of the languages we speak, the, the vastness of the country in itself, the diversity. Um, you couldn't really possibly uh, do one format of an event in one city and expect it to expect to replicate it across the country because it won't work because our challenges are because of all these aspects. So I think uh, it is, it is uh, infrastructure, it's a professional uh, system to really find them and nurture them. And, um, and I think it's not the talent. We have an abundance of talent and I think scouting is an area where we need to probably focus more on. So, so what part of uh, what part do you think sport plays as a vehicle for social change? I think the reason why we also run this foundation and why we do what we do is uh, as a country, you know, like some of the presentations in the morning as well, we heard about cricket, 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 Bollywood cricket. <laughs> so a large part of 
the rest of the country finds its role models only in these two aspects. But it's been changing over the last few years. You have someone like a PV Sindhu, a Saina Neval, a Mary Calm. Uh, there are enough and more young women, uh, you know, at different age groups, Paralympians who are doing really well. And I think uh, using sports as a vehicle for social change is very, very intrinsic to us at Go Sports because we believe we're creating champions, we're creating role models. And uh, by working with a few of them, if there are younger children and adults who can be inspired by their journey and can make things happen and make the nation a better place, I think that's what, I think it's a success in itself. So to, with regards social change, you know, a huge validation and game changer was the inclusion of sport in the Indian corporate social responsibility mandate. How has corporate India embraced sport in their CSR uh, initiatives? I think that was the best thing that happened to organizations like us uh, because otherwise uh, we were fighting to for funding. Uh, it was not considered as a priority. Uh, we're the first country in the world to mandate corporate social responsibility. So you have corporates wow. have to put in two percent of their profits, uh, you know, into into any one of the categories that the government has uh, listed as priority. So the fact that training towards Olympic and Paralympic and rural sport came in, it opened up, uh, you know, conversations. I would say initially, and then really opened up funding. Uh, we ourselves as a foundation have probably been able to survive only because of the corporate social responsibility mandate that came in. Otherwise, we were dependent on well-wishers and individuals who've played sport and who understand sport and who want to contribute. I love that you have placed para-athletes on the same level as able-bodied athletes. You know, what strategies are India using to build both capability and opportunities for para-athletes to Learn to, play, learn to play sport and also then continue as a competitive athlete and on to Paralympics? I think we have a very, very large percentage of differently able people in India. I think we're in the top five in the world of differently able people. Uh, but there's not too much awareness and there's not too many opportunities for them to create an identity. And we genuinely believe that sport gives them that identity, uh, not just to be... Uh, the best in terms of performance, but also to be that person who's known because of this sport. So in some way, we feel that there's a great mix in that sense. And at Rio, I had the good fortune of being there at the Rio Olympics. And uh, we were just 19 people in the contingent. We came back with four medals. And that has triggered a whole new uh, revolution in with the Indian para-sport world in, 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 in India because... Uh, they're getting equal prize money, equal opportunity. Uh, they're being considered as elite athletes. Uh, and I think this has just happened in one Olympic cycle. So if we can continue this and see what happens in Tokyo and then in Paris, I think we'll then see the trickle effect that can happen. So as noted in the introduction, you were in Rio for the Olympic and Paralympic Games in 2016. Were you there on an official capacity or just as a passionate spectator? who is motivated to be more involved? I was there only for the Paralympics, actually. I didn't go for the Olympics because there's a three-week uh, break between the two. So I decided that I'll go for the Paralympics. We had uh, 11 out of the 19 of the contingent were athletes that we were supporting. 
and this was the only program in India which was supporting differently abled athletes. So it was very exciting for us and we were really expecting a large, uh, I mean just participation more than anything else. The medals, you know, happened. Uh, but um, I was there on official capacity as Go Sports Foundation, not from the Indian side of it. But I would go to the village every day because I didn't get an accreditation and uh, I would keep standing outside and athletes would keep coming out and talking to me and you know we made profiles of all the 19 of them we had made uh, Wikipedia pages we had their Twitter and Facebook and we kept putting up information and on day two we got our first gold medal and everything changed and entire India was chasing us to get the information out because just a few weeks ago, we came back only with two medals at the Olympics and suddenly, uh, you know, we had four medals at the Paralympics and it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. There was a media director, actually, uh, you know, who was, who just kept asking me, what are you doing? Why is everyone coming and meeting you outside? And uh, I'm very, very fortunate that he actually gave me an official media uh, accreditation so that I could meet the athletes um, you know, as because there was no one from India who was actually covering the event because we didn't expect it. But I think the change in the last four years has been incredible, has been heartening, has been humbling. That in some sense that we could have we could have been part of this whole change that India is open to seeing now. And what have you seen from a a nation point of view with the Paralympics? You know, this doing so well, getting the medals there. What's been the response back at home around that? I think uh, it's being made more regular, it's being looked at as elite sport, so I think that was the first barrier that had to be broken. Uh, and also in terms of just inclusion, just getting them into all the places where top able-bodied athletes, cricketers, uh, Bollywood is there, you also have a differently abled athlete as representation, I think that's great. Uh, in terms of numbers, what was very interesting to see at the nationals, uh, just before Rio, when the national athletic meets, para-athletic meets used to happen, used to have hardly 500, 600 athletes who participated. But post-Rio, you had 1,800 uh, athletes participating at wow. the nationals. So you immediately saw a direct impact because the medals happen and, you know, trailblazers are important for a nation like us uh, because that sparks participation. And I feel there is a direct connect between mass participation, you know, after a, a big win happens. So, so I, that was interesting to see. So from a Go Sports Foundation, are you funding athletes directly or are you funding programs or are you building new facilities? How does it work? Uh, so we fund athletes directly through the programs that they are part of, which are funded by the corporates. So we create a program we get a sponsor corporate on board and then we find our athletes and we have a three-month extensive selection process. Athletes apply for our scholarship. Uh, in 2008, we had 11 athletes. We're currently 130 athletes. We give out financial scholarships. Uh, and I think 80% of our funding comes from CSR uh, through the corporate social responsibility. And uh, we're very fortunate to find corporates who believe this is part of nation building and this is not a regular social impact project. We believe that through these programs we're putting India on a world sporting map and it has become a national priority right from uh, our prime minister 
to our sports minister, everybody's talking about the Fit India movement and we're seeing, uh, you know, these trailblazers come out and then we're seeing people talk about just being healthy and participating in more events. Uh, so I think uh, it's been a combination of things uh, for us at Go Sports. But one aspect is really about telling these stories, inspiring more people to take up sport, for them to become role models. And we have an entire other vertical about on the advocacy side. So there's not too much material in Indian sport. Uh, so we're really attempting to try and put together material so that people can understand how elite sport and um, emerging sport works in India. I think that's uh, three verticals of how we're working in Go Sports. So there's an athlete, there's advocacy, and there's inspiration. Anything that falls in that. <laughs> so talking about inspiration, what has been the biggest success story you've seen so far through the Go Sports Foundation? Does anything stand out that's a kind of a, a unique, really special story that, that comes home deep in the heart? So there are two actually. Uh, one is uh, Kidambi Shrikant. Uh, very interestingly, he started badminton. He comes from a small town in Andhra Pradesh uh, called Guntur. And when Gopichand had won the All England, he was taken in an open top bus around the city. And this was this young boy who saw this hero on an open top bus, you know, uh, waving out to everyone. And Shrikant said, I want to be that. I want to get that. And that little incident triggered, uh, you know, Shrikant to take up badminton. We picked him, picked him up when he was 328 in the world. And... Uh, Earlier last year, he went up to world number one. Wow. So it was an incredible journey for us at Go Sports, just seeing that whole thing happen and being a world beater, uh, to be world number one in badminton in a sport that we were not considered to be in the top 10. But in the last 10 years, that's all changed. So that's been a fascinating journey uh, for it's, us. It's beautiful to hear that. So in a country where cricket is, a, is like a religion, you know, how does India support the promotion and fostering of other sports outside of you know, cricket, which is just, it's right up there with Bollywood. <laughs> it is difficult, but I think uh, it's changing primarily because uh, a lot of Indian athletes are today being put on the same platform as cricketers. There's more awareness of what it means to be an Olympian. Forget winning an Olympic medal. I think uh, we were, we, we've been a nation, nation that's just been crazy about medals. You know, we want the medal, but we forget the process. And uh, I think uh, if you look at a sport like athletics and swimming and cycling, it's just sheer competition amongst 80 countries, 90 countries. And then in cricket, you're, you have 11 countries who's playing the World Cup. Uh, with all due respect to cricket and uh, to cricketers. But I think... Um, it's, it's just more awareness about understanding the different types of sport, the participation in that sport. So if someone's finishing in the top 15 in the world in athletics, he is the best in the world, <laughs> you know. So just getting that perspective has been important. Yeah, very good. So uh, as you look back over your working career so far, what characteristics define you as a leader? I think the whole notion of being a leader who only gets your way has changed, has been deconstructed over a period of time in India. It used to be one person dictating in any corporate setup. But I think today uh, leadership is all about uh, involving everyone from your junior most 
individual to the intern to the senior most person uh, because everybody has ideas, everybody has experiences. So I think uh, collaborative leadership in some sense and uh, just believing that someone else has an opinion and a perspective which you may have not thought of. So I think that's more my style. <laughs> so over the next decade, what do you think will be the most important skill or skills for a sports leader to possess? I think the uh, ability to work in partnerships, to collaborate, uh, that is very critical. Uh, I think you can create properties and do things in your own domain and do it you know, just by the sheer size and scale of India, you'll be successful. But if you want to do something on a global uh, stage, it is about collaborations and partnerships. And I think we heard that since morning. Everybody has been talking about partnerships and uh, how you can only keep, uh, you know, multiplying the effect through collaborations and partnerships. So, yeah, that's been quite interesting. So, as a determined young sports leader, who do you... Um, how do you ensure that you bring your A-game every day through living an active and healthy lifestyle? So I try to get a game of tennis at least twice a week, but I've recently um, um, started doing Pilates and uh, on the machines. And I think the last one and a half years, I've, I've been hooked on to it. So I, I make sure I get... Uh, three times a week of Pilates, two games of tennis, and try and stay active. <laughs> and do you have any habits or routines that allow you to be in a peak performance state? Um, so when you want to go into a really important meeting or you want to start the day well with your staff, are there things that you do to make sure that your mind is right where you need it? I think over the years I've realized how, how important me time is, um, where you actually just sit and close your eyes and just spend some time with yourself, just hearing your thoughts and all the multiple things that are crossing your mind. Um, and I do a little bit of chanting every day. So that's my 10 minute routine. Uh, just after I come back from Pilates or a sport, I do my 10 minutes of chanting, get everything ready. So even before a big meeting or a big conference or a big uh, performance of my athlete, I just kind of do that for 10 minutes. I don't know if it's meditation, but I think I feel good after that. <laughs> so whatever works for you, I think it's important, right? You need to find that, that something, that habit that starts your day off really, really well. So we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. So for you, when was the last time you did something for the first time? I think this was some time back, but uh, I did the Everest Base Camp trek in 2013. So when I quit the bank, I made a list of things that I definitely want to do. And, uh, and I had written a small note saying, irrespective of whether this works or not, it's my responsibility, but I'll make sure I use all the opportunities and do all the things that is on my bucket list. So I think that was one activity that really, really challenged me. Um, and someone in the morning mentioned that uh, if you want to get fit, do a 10K. If you want to change your life, do a marathon. I think that stayed with me. And I think my Everest trek was one of those, those things which changed my life. Of just believing uh, on how much I can really push myself mentally and physically. I think it, it really challenged me. Oh, it's not too many people have been to base camp, so it's a pretty impressive achievement. 
What is the one question that you would love to solve? How to put India on a world sporting map consistently? Oh, that's a very good question. I like that one, a very deep one. So at Active CEO, we are passionate about making a difference in people's lives. So we would like to leave them a call to action. What is one piece of advice you have received over the years that you would like to share with our listeners to help them have a greater impact on their world? With what I started, saying be the change you wish to see. If you can't do it yourself, don't expect anybody else to do it. Dipthi, uh, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure having you on stage today. And, and you've given some really good insights into the way that India sport is working at the moment and the wonderful work that you're doing. So how can people learn more about what you do and what would be the best way for people to connect with you? I mean, you can write to me on email. I'm here. Uh, I mean, you can reach out to us on our social media platforms. It's Go Sports Voices on Twitter and on LinkedIn and on Instagram. We're on almost all social media platforms. And me personally, through my email as well, which is deeptibopaya at gosports.in. I'd be more than happy. Like I said, collaboration and partnership is very critical. I may learn a lot of things through the interaction. Uh, I'm not sure how much we would be able to do, but... I'm sure I'll take away something in every interaction. I will make sure we put those uh, contact details in the show notes so people can contact you. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much, Greg. I really, 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 really enjoyed listening to you talk about your early years of, of the passion around sport and those connections with your dad around tennis and Steffi Graf being your, your kind of idol from a tennis point of view. To then going into the corporate world where you worked at HSBC in the big banking world, but you come to a transition point where you're like, you know what, I need something more than this. And that trigger to move into the sport industry and you know, go into sport, Go Sports Foundation, which is achieving some remarkable things in India for both Olympic athletes and Paralympic athletes. And we're really looking forward to seeing the Indian athletes continue to rise and get more than just one Olympic gold medal in an individual sport and to ensure that we see that consistently in the future. Um, you've got a wonderful leadership style. Uh, you know, the way you speak is phenomenal and, and I'm sure you're going to continue to make Thank some you. powerful, powerful um, changes to people's lives in India through the power of sport. So thank you very much for your time today here at Mass Participation World with a live audience during lunchtime. Thank you so much, Greg. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity. Thank you. On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we're talking about CEO companionship. CEO loneliness is a real problem affecting our society. You know, have you ever felt lonely, isolated, and there is no one you can speak to as a leader? Well, you're not alone. Harvard Business Review reported that 61% of CEOs feel that loneliness hinders their job performance. The higher you move up the ladder, the greater responsibility. Pressure to deliver results, expectation to remain calm, and the level of confidentiality increases. Here are four ways to overcome CEO loneliness. First one, build a team of mentors. Second, Create work-life integration. Third, join a support group. And four, embrace the inclusivity 
of courage and vulnerability. Take the time to reflect and then recognize how the four ways to overcome CEO loneliness can help you rise up and become a better leader in 2020. Thank you for listening to a game-changing conversation with Dipti Papaya, India's next Olympic gold on episode 69 of the Active CEO podcast. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Each year, people try to make small adjustments to their life through improving one or two small things, and they wonder why real change isn't occurring. If you want to make a positive change in your life or become a better leader, then you need to be challenged through making a choice to do something uncomfortable or being asked the real difficult questions. If you feel like you're in a rut, are unhappy with your current life, direction you're taking, or you want to go to that next level as a leader, then it is important to have a coach in your life who can catalyze the, the challenge you need to make the necessary change required. We can help you make that uncomfortable decision to challenge your current way of thinking and provide clarity and certainty for you as a leader. Contact Craig Johns at Craig at NRG2Perform.com or click on the contact page of the www.nrg2perform.com website. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrg2perform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.